Welcome to Felony Friday, a presentation of the Lions of Liberty podcast. Here is your host, John Odermatt. Felons, friends, and freedom lovers, welcome back to the Felony Friday podcast. This is the show where we focus on injustices in the broken criminal justice system. It's hard to believe, I know, but this is episode 10 of Felony Friday. It's been an awesome ride so far. And for our 10th show, we have another great guest. I'll introduce my guest in a minute. Before I do that, I want to just remind everyone where they can find the show notes for today's show. You can find them at lionsofliberty.com slash FF10. My guest today is attorney Marissa Feel. Marissa is an accomplished attorney and entrepreneur who previously worked at a large immigration law firm. She left to cultivate her own flourishing practice now. It's called Foreign Worker Canada. And I wanted to bring Marissa on to talk about a specialty that her practice has undertaken, which serves people with felony backgrounds in the United States. Her practice, like I said, is called Foreign Worker Canada. One of the things they do is they help U.S. felons obtain permission from Canadian authorities to travel to Canada. So, Marissa, welcome to the Felony Friday podcast. Thanks so much for having me. Well, it's great to have you here. And uh, this is a topic that is relevant to many of our listeners of this show. Before we get into the specifics of your practice and how you're helping U.S. felons visit Canada, I want to just talk about your background a little bit. And I just want to start off first by asking what led you down the path to become a lawyer, to get involved with the law? Sure. I pretty much always wanted to be a lawyer. When I was about two years old, I have no idea where I got it from, but I got this idea in my head that I wanted to be a lawyer from an extremely young age. I think it was because I was always arguing with my parents (laughs) and uh, everyone said, you would make a really good lawyer. And that kind of stuck with me. And I always decided that one day this was going to be something that I would pursue Awesome. So how did you get involved in immigration law? How did you take that step then? That was a really funny story. While I was at McGill doing an undergrad, I was doing some after-school tutoring for high school students in general subjects, math and science and history. And one of the students that I was tutoring, her father was an immigration lawyer. And I one day was like, you know, maybe I should try and pursue something outside of tutoring. I'm getting towards the end of law school. It might be a good idea to find find the type of law that I'm going to be practicing in. And her dad said, you know what, a spot in my firm just opened up and I'm wondering if you want to come work for me. And I didn't know anything about immigration law. I didn't know if I would like it. I didn't know how it works at all. And he said, just come and try it. And I figured, you know what, as a law student, you don't really get that many job offers without going on interviews or without, you know, joining the rat race. And so I figured I am going to try it. And I immediately fell in love with the practice. I just felt like I was always helping people. I didn't have to be litigious or, and I didn't have to be too aggressive with anybody. The only person you ever really have to argue with in the field of immigration law is the government, which is kind of a pleasure sometimes. <laughs> and, uh, and I just, I loved it from the beginning. So what gave you the initiative to want to start your own practice, to go off on your own with Foreign Worker Canada? 
what I was doing for this large firm was I was handling immigration problems. So it was a very large Canadian immigration law firm. We were helping people from all over the world immigrate to Canada. And my specialty were all the files where there was an issue. There was a criminal issue. There was a medical issue. There was a, I don't know, uh, you know, an adoption issue or someone had multiple wives in a different country issue. And I became really a specialist in navigating these types of problems. And I met more and more Canadian, mostly women, who had fallen in love with mostly American men who previously had a conviction on their record that was preventing them from being together. So the American citizen could not process an immigration application until they resolved this criminality issue. And it was my job to help people resolve these issues. And for the most part, I was just doing it in the context of people wanting to move to Canada. And it became a real niche of mine. It was really what I loved to do because I felt that I was doing a service that really nobody else was really specialized in and that I was helping people move on with their lives, that they had done something in the past that was very much in the past because to apply for permanent immigration, it has to have been at least five years since you completed your sentence. And I felt like these people really deserved another chance in Canada. And I felt like the Canadian citizens deserved to be able to be with the person that they loved and shouldn't be held back because of a previous conviction. And so I started my own firm so that I could judge focus on that because it was a service that I saw was really needed. There's so many convictions in the United States every year. There's so much cross-border travel between Canada and the United States. And I figured that this would be both a good business opportunity and it would make me feel good about the work that I do because it really brings people together. That is really interesting. It is always great when you can do something that you're passionate about and when you can you know, help people, like you were talking about bringing people together who were separated by the law. Exactly. And uh, obviously, in some cases, as you know, in the United States, we have a lot of our drug laws are, you know, they're, they're victimless crimes, nonviolent crimes, people that who maybe have, you know, in the eyes of many have done nothing wrong, but they're still kept from visiting their loved ones. Exactly. It goes beyond that because a lot of what I do now is not just people moving to Canada, but it's also about business and opportunities for Americans to come up to Canada to promote their business or to do their jobs and also opportunities for Canadians to have certain performing artists. If you think of certain celebrities or musicians, some of them wouldn't be able to come into Canada if it weren't for these permits that the Canadian government it makes available. And that is a specialty of mine. So I really see my job as providing opportunities on both sides of the border by helping people with these previous convictions. Very cool. But before we get, uh, you know, talking about the actual process of how you go about doing this, can you just go over what is the process just for a U.S. citizen, even you know, without a felony background, to visit a Canada right now? What sure. kind of documentation do they need? Anyone traveling by air needs a passport. So in the past, that wasn't the case. But recently, in order to help tighten up security at the border, anyone who's traveling by air needs a passport. And then anyone traveling by car or by sea is 
encouraged to have a passport, but you can also have an enhanced driver's license, which means that in addition to just the regular driver's license that you had your fingerprints taken and put into the system so that they can use driver's licenses instead of passports for people who are driving. So regular American citizens do not require any kind of visas or to apply for anything in advance to be able to travel to Canada. You just need a valid form of ID, either the passport or the enhanced driver's license to be able to cross the border. Okay, because that changed recently. I think it's been several years since I've been to Canada. I think the last time I didn't need a passport, but you're saying that maybe they're switching back to from passports to will all US IDs eventually have this capability? I'm not sure uh, if all US IDs are going to have them. I know that some states just generally make them all enhanced at this point and some don't. It's really hard for me to keep up sometimes with all of the policies from all 50 different states. So my general rule is if you're going to be traveling a lot, you should have a passport. That's a good rule. Let's just walk through a, just a hypothetical scenario. Sure. Let's say uh, you know a convicted felon is released from prison. They have a, a loved one they want to visit in Canada, or maybe they want to do some business in Canada. And it's the first time they've thought about, uh, what do I have to do in order to visit there with my background? So they call your law firm. What's the first thing you do? What's the process that you lead sure. them through? So the first question I always ask is, what were you convicted of? Because... If you were convicted of an offense that's actually not even an offense in Canada, then we don't have to talk about anything. So there are some criminal offenses in the United States that are actually not criminal offenses in Canada. If you think of something like supplying alcohol to a minor, for example, is actually not a criminal offense in Canada, but it is a criminal offense in the United States. So the first thing we do is find out what the person was convicted of. When we find that out, we just examine to see, is there a Canadian equivalent to this offense? Because in Canada, we have one criminal code for all of Canada. And as you know, in the United States, each state has their own set of criminal laws. And some states have really funny things on the books and some states don't. And so we always have to go through that exercise. The offense that we see the most by far is DUI or drunk driving type of offenses. And for the most part, those are always going to be equivalent to the Canadian DUI statute. And then once we figure out that there is an equivalent, the next question I ask is, how long ago did this happen and what was the sentence? Because there's two types of permits that you can get to be able to cross the Canadian border. One that would allow you to come temporarily for a specific purpose and one that would actually clear your record permanently so that you can travel across the border with the same rights that any other American has. So, A person who has less than five years from the completion of their sentence, and the completion of their sentence would include all of the probation, all of the fines being paid. So once five years have passed, they're eligible for this process called rehabilitation, which is the process that clears your record permanently. Anyone who's inside that five-year period or who's still on probation or who's still paying off their fines they're only allowed to apply for a temporary resident permit, which is not really for residents at all. It's just a permit that allows you to be in Canada temporarily for a specific purpose. So if you're coming up for a conference, for example, you'd say, okay, the conference is from April 1st to April 5th. I'm going to be here from March 31st to March 6th. They can give you a permit that's valid just for that period of time. So you can be here despite having something in your past. 
if a U.S. citizen with a criminal background were to call your law firm, would you work in conjunction with the U.S. law firm to get all the paperwork done? Or is that something that you can handle 100% on your end? So some of my clients have the paperwork themselves. Like some of my clients keep a file that has everything at home. Some of my clients say, you know what, you need to speak to my lawyer. Just give me the list of the things that I need and and we'll be able to facilitate that because we definitely do need U.S. court records and a U.S. background check because that's what the Canadian government uses to see what exactly is in the past, how extensive of a criminal record are we looking at in each application. So sometimes it's the individual who gets it. Sometimes it's their lawyer who gets us the information. Okay. You were talking about a a five-year window. Sounded key, but before and after five years, after five years, it seems like it's a little bit easier to get access to Canada. Is there any way to shorten that window? Is there anything that can be done to expedite that? So what we do is sometimes when people are actually going through the trial process, we often work with U.S. criminal defense attorneys to try and shorten the window of probation or shorten whatever type of sentence is being imposed on the individual so that it doesn't actually get longer than the five years. So you can't reduce the five years, but in California, for example, you sometimes see DUIs that have a five-year probation attached. It's non-supervised probation, but it's still probation for five years. So a person with a DUI conviction with five-year probation actually has to wait 10 years to be able to apply for rehabilitation through Canada. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) So you were talking before about the nature of the crime being key. Yes. Are there any crimes that one could commit in the U.S. that they would not be allowed to go to Canada at any point in time? So all of these applications are assessed on a case-by-case basis. I would say that for some of the most violent crimes, it would be you know, not impossible necessarily, but very, very difficult to ever get a rehabilitation certificate or to get a temporary resident permit to come up if we're talking about something like murder or something that's extremely violent. I have done some pretty serious offenses. I've done applications for pretty serious offenses. In most cases, my clients had mitigating circumstances so that they either helped the police or they showed themselves to be upstanding citizens and received reduced sentences. And so despite having a conviction for, for example, production of methamphetamine, we were still able to get them a permit to be able to travel to Canada. Okay. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. Let's just say, you know, if someone has a criminal background and they're not even aware of any of these restrictions yeah. to travel, what if they try to cross the border? Would they be arrested? What would happen then? So your passport, your U.S. passport, is actually linked to the FBI's database, which means that when you come up to the border and present your passport, the Canadian border officer can scan that passport and access the FBI's criminal background you know, histories and see everything that would be on your record. Most of the time, they are checking passports in that way. They have these new little scanning machines that they just hold your passport up to the little machine and everything pops up when you're standing there, either at the airport or at the land crossing. When you're crossing by air or by cruise ship, for example, 
the um, airlines and the cruise lines often provide passenger manifests to the Canadian immigration authorities prior to arrival in Canada. So they can actually run the whole list through the database and they can flag people who have something that's popping up in the database. And then when you get to the border, usually you'll know if they know about your conviction because they'll ask you about it. So it's not something that you have to declare on any kind of customs or immigration declaration form. It's something that would come up as a result of an officer saying something to you. Have you ever been arrested? Have you ever been convicted? Something along those lines. But they already know the answer. And they're waiting for you to either say, yes, I have, or they're waiting for you to say, no, I haven't. And then they want to really speak to you in the back because at that point you've just lied to an immigration officer. The, for the most part, they don't arrest people at the Canadian border. They have the ability to arrest you. They have the right to arrest you if you show up at the border and you're inadmissible. But practically speaking, they know that most Americans aren't necessarily aware of these restrictions. And for the first time, they'll have them sign a little piece of paper that says, I was unaware of the laws of Canada, and I'm going to return voluntarily to the United States. I'm not going to come back until I've addressed these issues. And you sign a little piece of paper and there's a date, it goes into Canada Central database so that if you come up again, they know they've already warned you and they send you back to the United States without much issue. People who come up all the time and who know that they're inadmissible and think that they're going to be able to just see a new officer and get through, those are the people who are, are at risk for being detained. Because they would be flagged in the system as a repeat offender. Exactly. Okay. Can you share an example maybe of a case where you helped a, a felon travel to, to Canada? I know you talked about before, you know, you've especially getting involved now with uh, businesses and then with uh, lovers trying to see yeah. each other. Is there any case that stands out to you? There's so many cases that stand out to me. Some of the most fun cases that we work on are cases in the summertime. There's a lot of concerts that come through Canada. And it's interesting to me that so many backup dancers and lighting specialists and pyrotechnics guys and all these people have something minor in their past. And if they don't get it cleared up, then the whole tour could be compromised, you know, in Canada. I'm sure you've heard or people have heard in the news that Chris Brown had to cancel his entire Canadian tour because Chris Brown himself had a conviction for assault and they just wouldn't let him through. I take it he didn't call you? He did not call me, unfortunately. <laughs> he, should <have. laughs> he should have, for sure. So there's people in those situations, and it's always, you know, interesting to me to say, you know, this concert would not be happening in Canada right now if I hadn't helped all those backup dancers or if I hadn't helped the pyrotechnics guy. Those are super fun in terms of just being involved in that. There's also really serious cases. I've had many people plan their weddings in Canada and then they'll call me up and tell me, oh my gosh, the groom cannot even attend his own wedding. So it's personally satisfying to me when I'm able to put together an application for someone to be able to attend their own wedding in Canada. The stakes are super high. Emotions are also usually high. Brides are not too happy in those situations. And it's personally satisfying for me and it's personally satisfying for the couple when I'm able to help those people get through. And then in terms of much more serious cases, I had a couple who the wife was Canadian. They lived in the United States. Her husband was American. He had three DUIs in his past. And 
when his wife passed away in her will, she had written that she wanted her ashes sprinkled on the lake outside her childhood home in Canada. And he called me crying one day because he couldn't cross the border. He went to the border with her ashes in his hand and he told the officer that he wanted to come in to spread the ashes. And the officer said, I see three DUIs in the system. I don't even know what else you have. I'm not letting you in today. And this guy called me and said, I need to respect my wife's dying wish. And I said, I completely agree with you. And we put together an application and asked for permission for him to enter Canada on humanitarian, compassionate grounds. And with the application that we were able to put together, he was able to come up and fulfill his wife's dying wish. That is a powerful story right there. Yeah. I'm curious. I mean, obviously, you've come on the Felony Friday podcast, but what other ways do you advertise your services in the United States to people with a criminal background? Sure. Well, one of the things that I do the most of is that I attend a ton of criminal defense attorney seminars in the United States. I very often speak at these types of seminars and conferences. I'm actually going the day after tomorrow to one in Montana. And I talk to criminal defense attorneys about how they can best represent their clients so that they're either not inadmissible to Canada, or I talk to them about strategies for reducing the time of inadmissibility to Canada. That also serves as a way to promote my services as well, because sometimes it's just not possible to get an acquittal, or it's not possible to plead a case down to something that wouldn't make someone inadmissible to Canada. And I'm a great reference to them and their great references to me. So definitely the seminar circuit is a big way for me to get new clients. I also try and put out information online that is accessible to people. I make videos, I make infographics. We advertise using memes on Facebook to try and bring awareness around this issue. There's just so many people who have unfortunately wasted so much time and money and planning trips to Canada without ever knowing that this is going to be an issue. So part of our advertising is also an education campaign so that people don't find themselves caught up in these types of situations. They can be proactive, they can apply for the permits in advance, or they can say, you know what, I'm going to hold off on Canada until I'm eligible for what I need to be able to travel freely. Marissa, the service you provide is indispensable. As I mentioned, I think in our emails leading up, I first heard of you on the Michael Santos podcast. Yeah. He has the, the Earning Freedom podcast, a great show for all of our listeners to check out if you haven't yet. Michael was a previous guest on this show. Marissa, thank you for taking just a little bit of time to speak with us today. And can you please just tell our listeners how they can contact you, your website, email, uh, whatever you want to give, uh, any other information so I can get a hold of you. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. For anyone who wants to get in touch with me, there's multiple ways to do that. You can visit our website, which is on this topic exclusively. It's duicanadaentry.com. And if you want to call us, we have a toll-free line from the United States. It's one 855 or you can always send me an email. It's info, I-N-F-O, at F like Frank, WCanada.com. All right. Well, thank you very much for your time, Marissa, and have a great you day. You too. Thank you all for listening. If you guys enjoyed this show, please consider sharing it. The information in today's show, I think, really has the potential to help a lot of people. So please help us spread the word. Now, the easiest way to do this is to follow the Lions of Liberty on Facebook and Twitter and share our posts with your networks. 
Now, also, you don't want to miss an episode of the Lions Liberty podcast. So if you haven't already, you're going to want to visit iTunes or Stitcher Radio, whichever is your choice, and you want to subscribe so you can receive every single episode of Lions of Liberty podcast every week. Now, every week we publish an episode every Monday, every Wednesday, and every Friday with Felony Friday. So don't miss out. Also, guys, remember, you can share your thoughts with me on the show by sending an email to felonyfriday at lionswithliberty.com. Give me feedback on this show, previous shows, what you want to see on future shows. I'd love to hear from you, and I will get back to you if you email me. I promise. Also, guys, you can connect with like-minded liberty lovers by joining our private Facebook group, the Lions of Liberty Forum. You can do this by searching Lions of Liberty Forum on Facebook. The group will pop up. You can click join, and we will approve you as quickly as we possibly can. If it's not within 30 seconds, please don't take it personally. Remember to check out the Felony Friday archive, guys. That's at lionsofliberty.com slash felonyfriday. Before this was a podcast, it was a column I wrote every single Friday. You can read all my past articles. I'd love some feedback on them. And you can also find all the previous podcast episodes of Felony Friday. So please check them out. And you can check out every single Lions of Liberty podcast episode at lionsofliberty.com slash podcast. We're nearing 200 total episodes in the Lions of Liberty podcast, so please check that out. There is a lot of good material to listen to. As always, guys, thank you again for listening. I really, really do appreciate it. This is John Odermatt signing off. Always remember to keep your head up and the fires of liberty burning. <laughs>